get me a rare stone on my rent. Um, they helped me with my ESB bill. Uh, they also helped me with food every week. For God's sake, give a little. It would help a lot. Serving Christ in the most needy people in our communities. I think we have a poor image and people think we go around giving out brown envelopes with three pounds. We present Brown Envelopes with Three Pounds, a portrait of the Society of St. Vincent de Paul. Um, unemployment is the main cause of uh, poverty in this country and uh, there are now 281,000 people un unemployed and um, that leads to all the social, well not to all, but to a lot of the social problems that are also in the country. The headquarters of the Society of St Vincent de Paul in Ireland are on New Cabra Road, Dublin. Yeah. And what's the fax number? Oh yes, I got that earlier from you Lucy. Yeah, and Eight, four, eight. Great. OK, we'll put you on the list. And thank you for your interest. Thanks. God bless. Bye. Columba Faulkner is the General Secretary of the Society. I got involved in 1969. Um, I really didn't want to become involved, but my sister was in it for some reason and asked me to come with her. And I remember going to a corporation place and I, I still remember the first family I ever went to visit. And I didn't want to join the society, but I wanted to keep going back to that family. There was 18 children. I always remember something moving in the hearth and it was actually a baby covered in coal dust. Um, the father was in the bed with a bad back, but well. Um, and there was one other old lady and, and all we used to do for her was wash her and bring her bovril in a flask. She was an alcoholic and she would just lie in this bed all week and we'd, we'd just come down wash her that night. And maybe I felt like Mother Teresa, but I really felt that um, it was important that I went back to her. Don't know whether it was. I just felt at the time when one is young, one feels one can change the world. And it just, I suppose, a love of people, a love of people who had problems, um, just kept me going back week in, week out. Not so much to be a member of the society, but just to be in touch with the people I met. Noel Clear is the society's national president. Uh, my uh, membership of the Society of St Vincent de Paul goes back to when I was about uh, 20 years of age. And um, I became involved in uh, a tenement area here in the city of Dublin in working with, uh, again, with family visitation and arising out of that, we got involved in the development of a youth club uh, for boys and girls in the general area where I worked. And uh, I've moved on from that, uh, working in a number of different areas of work and activities of the Society of St. Vincent de Paul over the years. Uh, I have for the last six years been involved as president of the Dublin Regional Council. A very challenging undertaking, but nonetheless uh, one in which uh, I found great motivation in from the point of view of the 
voluntary members of the society that I met throughout the city. Uh, one couldn't but admire their commitment and their sense of dedication uh, to, to the people that were helping. Maybe I could cite an instant. I won't name the general area that I'm talking about. But for example, uh, an 80-year-old member of the organisation rang me up and asked me if I could give uh, additional funds over and above what I was already giving to his conference. And I asked him for what reason did he want the additional support. He said, well, he said, no, there is a 26-year-old man living in the flats, the area where he was working, and he's dying of AIDS. And uh, he has, he's very gifted with his hands. And for the last 12 months of his life, I'd like to think that he had uh, tools to, uh, to pursue his, 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 his interest. So we gave him uh, a small grant to enable him to buy those tools for that man. I think the point I'm making is uh, the contrast. Uh, the great Christian outlook of a man of that age in understanding and coping with the idea of uh, somebody who is dying of AIDS. I think it was a tremendous inspiration. Equally so, uh, when I work with the uh, members of some of the third level colleges around uh, the city, the Trinity College people, every year uh, new members come into the Vincent de Paul in the Trinity College Conference and the work that they do with young people in the inner city, tutoring them, taking them on outings at the weekend, uh, visiting uh, some of the centres where there are handicapped people, uh, one can't be but uh, impressed and indeed motivated in your own right to continue in the organisation from that point of view. Margaret knows the society for many years. Well, in 1987, I had family problems. I have five children, and at that time, my husband was unemployed. So I didn't know who to turn to. So then I, got, I went and saw a Jesuit priest in a church, and he asked me, was I ever involved in the Vincent de Paul? Or had I ever got help from the Vincent de Paul? And I said, no, but I do know them. Like, they, were, they always had contact within my family, my own mother's family. And he said to me, well, the best thing to do was to go and ring the Vincent de Paul and tell them the difficulties that you're in. Now, at the time, my husband was unemployed and um, I had difficulties in rent and electricity. Now, it meant that for what we were getting on the, on the doll was, would, would not pay us for the, for, the, for the renting of the house or enough for the electricity, plus food. So the only solution was, I got onto the Vincent's de Paul and from that time on, they helped me. They helped me to get me arrears down on my rent. Um, they helped me with my ESB bill. Uh, they also helped me with food every week. Uh, Christmas times, they, they helped me an awful lot. Um, when I had communions, confirmations, they looked after, made sure that uh, my child was well dressed and looked after, and myself and my husband was well dressed and looked after. Um, then they, from there on, then they, they've, every year they've given me my children a holiday 
to uh, Sunshine House and also they give the whole family, myself, my husband and the children, a holiday away for a week, which is great because it takes an awful lot of stress from us, you know, like worry, worry of different things that I don't be able to have to pay, you know. So, um, really like the, the Vincent de Paula, they, they are they're the best people that ever helped anybody and I've great, I've great involvement in them, like if, um, I have great belief in them. The principal work of the Society of St Vincent de Paul is uh, visitation to families in need, um, again right on a national basis right throughout the country. That's the central core work of the Society, but very often the public at large are not aware of the wide range of other activities that the Society is involved in. The running of hostels and night shelters for people who are homeless the running of youth clubs, uh, particularly in large urban areas in the city of Dublin and to a lesser extent perhaps in Cork and some other areas around the country, the provision of youth activities for young people in these parishes. Um, the Seaman's Club, uh, the mission to seamen in a number of the main um, harbour areas in, in, in Ireland there are conferences which to work with the seamen, seamen who come in on ships from third world countries and befriend them and, and give them uh, a place where they can come in the evening and socialise. So there are many works of the society that the public isn't always conscious of. The Vincent Paul gave me a personal development course in, um, I can't really remember the year, but anyhow, uh, they, they, gave me, they gave me the strength to come up, you know, and get me out of myself. I was suffering depression and they've done an awful lot to help me. Uh, I've, I've done 10 weeks course, they paid for a 10 weeks course on, uh, between the, there was two courses, the person development course plus a time making course, it's crafts, which was great, like, because it kept your mind at ease, like, when you're distressed, you're making a tie and you feel great about it, you know, so, and I, also they paid us for going to do it as well, you know, so, which was great. So, um, yeah, they, they, they're so kind. There's no true award for them. They are very good. Um, we all love a break. Um, the poor are no different than us and they need it more, God knows, because when you're poor, every day is the same. So we have 10 holiday homes around the country now and people go there during the summer, about 10,000 people. But more and more we're breaking away into renting a house or a caravan at the seaside and sending a family off. And uh, they can be just like any other family at the seaside with their own house and their own money and have a week. Because they all come back then maybe with new ideas or just feeling a little bit better. Um, we also have night shelters and that's a big work of the society. About every night of the week there's about 360 homeless people in one of our night shelters. We've 12 of them, 10 of them or 11 of them now around the country. These are people who, for various reasons, have fallen by the wayside. It's amazing, like people who once upon a time had good jobs, but maybe mostly through marital breakdown or an abuse like alcohol or drugs, have just lost their families and they've ended up on our doorsteps and they come and stay with us. And we try through our work projects in the hostels to rehabilitate people some people decide to stay and make their homes there and that's all right. But the younger people, we'd always encourage them back into independent living and try and get them to get a councillor corporation flat and 
get back on their feet because it's not good to institutionalise young people. Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Sunshine House in Balbriggan is run by the Society of St. Vincent de Paul as a holiday home for children. Paddy Connolly is a steward. All the stewards are voluntary. Um, we de depend on, on, on around 20 stewards per week to call a full complement of children. Uh, if we are stuck with about 10 stewards or 12 stewards, it means that effectively we can just bring down less children. The stewards spend all their day with the children. The children are, 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 are the responsibility of the stewards. We do employ staff in the house, uh, an upstairs staff who would do the cleaning, the making of the beds, uh, the cleaning of the floors and laundry, be it the kids' clothes that might need washing, uh, or occasionally if stewards are stuck uh, uh, and they needed something washed, they would be washed as well. Because of, maybe for hygiene reasons, I mean, quite often kids might wet the beds or things like that, and if they do, there's really not a problem, uh, the staff would just change the, the, the bedware uh, and the, the children have a fresh bed at night. Uh, we do equally supply the children with, with night dresses uh, or pyjamas uh, and towels for the dormitories as well. Downstairs we employ staff who would do the cooking in the kitchen. Uh, their role would be to do the cooking, the washing up. Uh, they would serve the stewards their meals because uh, the stewards actually dine separately to the kids. Uh, we would work a shift system where stewards who were on the meals would come in early for their lunch uh, and they they would be served up the lunch by the staff uh, and then they would serve the kids their lunch while the second shift comes in and have, have, have their lunch. So it's the only kind of time away from the kids during the day that, that the stewards would have uh, for the period over, over their lunch break, their tea break or, or, or breakfast. Uh, and again it's, 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 it's to endeavour to keep standards high is the reason why we employ staff to ensure that, that because when you have volunteers coming down here for a week uh, because the activity can be quite demanding the least we can do is, is, is feed them well uh, and, and, and keep them fit for the job from that perspective. Yeah. Yeah. There's three mums and one, no bullying. Two, you have to stay in the brothers and sisters. And three, you have to treat the house like grown. And you're and every, another one. Every you're not allowed to write in the wall. That's four. There's a reward because somebody in the one of the people we did have incidents where children brought down maybe particular aerosols or, or, or things like that, um, which would have been a problem. But, but you know, because the, the, the children are, are so well supervised, it, it came to light pretty quick uh, that the, the things were there. <clears throat> and depending on the child or depending on how we felt at the time, we either just brought the child straight home uh, or if we felt that it was just kind of a... a an initial thing because the child was away from home and somebody had given them something and maybe they were experimenting, maybe they weren't, just the fact that they had it. Uh, if we felt confident that 
as we took it off the child, uh, that there was going to be no other difficulties with the child for, for the remainder of the week, uh, we would let the child stay. I did make reference earlier that, that if children bully, we send them home. Uh, we tell the kids that we are very strict on that. That's the first rule we have down there. Um, the problem is that if a child bullies, you try and, and <clears throat> stop the child from, from, from bullying. Uh, you try to some extent to reason with the child, but you must always remember that if a child is bullying, he's effectively, he or she is effectively spoiling somebody else's holiday. Uh, and, and that is really unfair, and on that basis, it would be really wrong to keep the child. Uh, despite maybe the, the particularly difficult circumstances that the child might come from, if they're that much of a negative effect on the week uh, for, for the enjoyment of the other children, we just cannot keep them. Nobody wants to leave. I do when I don't. Yeah, like, like you miss your mom, but then you don't want to leave, like, because it's fun down here. Yeah, stop leaning on me, please. At, at very least, I, I, I enjoy doing the work. Uh, I mean, I, I just get a lot of enjoyment from the kids. Uh, Kids, you know, in their nature can be kind of funny little creatures, so to speak. Uh, they tend to be so unpredictable to, 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 to say the, the maybe what wouldn't seem to be funny at all to them, uh, but for most other people listening, it would come across as being quite funny. Uh, I get a lot of enjoyment of, 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 of kids coming down and, and really having an, an enjoyable holiday. Uh, sometimes it's difficult when you see the kids going home at the end of the week and it's very difficult when you're meeting parents at the same time when you're arriving back in Connolly Station uh, and a lot of kids would be crying because they're going home. And it's not really a case that they don't like going home. Well, hopefully it's, it's not a case that they don't like going home. It's just that they'd like to maybe stay in Sunshine a little bit longer. So for the people involved, it, it, it gives a message to them that uh, they're doing something right, they're doing something that's worthwhile. Uh, so it's good from that sense. A lot of people would feel that uh, Volunteers maybe are putting themselves out. They're maybe making a contribution or booking a place in heaven or so on and so forth. Maybe for some people they are. Uh, I would feel and, and I would feel that it's probably a view that would be expressed by a lot of people that would be maybe involved in Sunshine for many years that uh, they probably get more out of Sunshine than they actually put in. Be it the experience, the benefit, the, the personal development. Uh, but there's a lot to be gained by giving. point that maybe I should have mentioned earlier was that the kids would refer to most of the stewards down here as brother or sister. Uh, partially because we tell the stewards that they're act, to act like a big brother or a big sister to the children. But the other thing is that, that uh, kids, especially to start of the week, wouldn't know your name. So rather than have the kids shouting, hey you, when they want to push on the swing or something like that, they can shout brother or sister and at least you know somebody is, 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 is addressing one of the stewards. But uh, I recall one, one night up in the dormitory reading a story and the particular book I had each chapter in it was a story in itself but 
if somebody was reading the whole book, all the chapters were actually con connected uh, to, to make a bigger story. Now, the majority of the kids would tr fall asleep halfway through each chapter. Uh, so, you know, the next night when we starting a new chapter, it'd be like a new story to the manual, so it wasn't a problem. But it was one particular kid who was actually following the story the whole way through from start. And getting towards the end of the week, uh, the stewards would be getting fairly tired and certainly I wouldn't be a great person for going to bed early. Uh, I'd be getting fairly tired. So I was beginning to, to, to doze off or to nod off as I was reading the story. So I was slowing down in my reading and next thing my eyes just closed and my head nodded forward. But it, immediately I jerked back up realizing that I'd kind of fallen asleep reading the story. And I looked around to see was there any of the children awake. And of course the child who had been listening to the story, all he heard was me stopping. and. He lifted his head off the pillar and he says, Brother, if you don't know the word, just skip it. <laughs> Which is rather typical of what kids can come out of at various times. In George Bernard Shaw's play, Major Barbara, Andrew Undershaft, the arms manufacturer and dealer, speaks his mind to his daughter, Barbara, a major in the Salvation Army. Poverty is the worst of crimes. All the other crimes are virtues beside it. All the other dishonours are chivalry itself by comparison. Poverty blights whole cities, spreads horrible pestilences, strikes dead the very souls of all who come within sight, sound or smell of it. What you call crime is nothing. A murder here and a theft there, a blow now and a curse then. What do they matter? They are only the accidents and illnesses of life. There are not 50 genuine professional criminals in London. But there are millions of poor people, abject people, dirty people, ill-fed, ill-clothed people. They poison us, morally and physically. They kill the happiness of society. They force us to do away with our own liberties and to organize unnatural cruelties for fear they should rise against us and drag us down into their abyss. Only fools fear crime. We all fear poverty. <laughs> you talk of your half-saved ruffian. You accuse me of dragging his soul back to perdition. Well, bring him to me here, and I will drag his soul back again to salvation for you. Not by words and dreams, but by 38 shillings a week, a sound house and a handsome street and a permanent job. He will be better fed, better housed, better clothed, better behaved, and his children will be pounds heavier and bigger. That will be better than an American cloth mattress in a shelter, chopping firewood, eating bread and treacle, and being forced to kneel down from time to time to thank heaven for it. Knee drill, I think you call it. It is cheap work converting starving men with a Bible in one hand and a slice of bread in the other. There's only one person and I can remember. And in 1988, she came in and she was preaching. She stayed in me home for about an hour. Before she gave me anything, she was preaching about God. That God, only for God, she wouldn't be here to forgive me, right? But that was the only time, and that was in 1988, and I've never ever heard of anyone going into, any member of the Vincent de Paul going in to preach about God. No, definitely not. Uh, the Society of St. Vincent de Paul has always been a very practical organisation. 
and we see it first of all as a tremendous privilege uh, to be of service to people who are who just happen to be less fortunate than ourselves um, and there is never any question of forcing religious values on people I think the way that members of the society uh, contribute perhaps to the culture would you say is by our example uh, and by the kind of dedication that I've already referred to I think that's where the focus is where we we um, by our example of service to people uh, that's how we are respected and that's how we I suppose give to some extent whatever limited leadership we can give to people in their way of living um, of course we have a spiritual ethos and motivation and I suppose it's a way of living out the gospel is why I'm doing it. I'm doing it for the Lord, I couldn't do it without him. But the people we assist, it's their business, what religion if any they have. Or we, we, as I say, we're Christian, we, we don't preach to people. Um, and But we often would show by our example that it's um, maybe important to have Christ in your life and we hope that people would see by us uh, being Christians that they would see the, the importance it is. Curtiffstown House near Nace, Rose McGann helps to give a holiday to senior citizens. Well, I suppose we're getting a bit up market. When I started to come here, um, our main activity was bingo. But now, in <clears throat> the last couple of years, we have um, bought equipment and um, there's crazy golf and there's bowls this year. And now we have uh, indoor bowls, which is a big thing in a lot of the active retirement clubs. Um, this morning, for instance, um, the, the ICA ladies from Maynooth very kindly came in and gave us two hours of their time and they did arts and crafts. And we also had this, the new trend is instead of aerobics, it's called movement to music for the elderly and the League of Health um, are doing two mornings with us and they're, they're not charging us, they're covering their own costs. So that would, and of course, there's bingo. And then every night there's entertainment, uh, a band, or last night with somebody on a keyboard, somebody would be brought down every night to entertain them and we'd have singing and dancing. And you don't really have to entertain them, they entertain us, right? What happens is the different parts of Dublin um, in the society, they're divided into what they call areas. So each area would take the house for a week each year. And the house holds 110 people. So there would be approximately 100 to 104 elderly people, and then there would be eight stewards. And the stewards would be mainly made up of people who are members of the society and their friends when you have to call upon them. And we would come for a week, and the week goes from Sunday afternoon at 2 o'clock until Saturday, the following Saturday at 2.30 we leave here. And um, it's generally most, my week, this week now for instance, would be 
all of the people, we have 106 here at the moment, and they come from the north inner city. They would be from Sean McDermott Street, Gardner Street, um, <clears throat> right up as far as Fibsborough. And uh, there would be people who would live mostly in flats, and they might look out the window and have never seen green grass, like all they're looking at is another building, or, you know, they might they could be incapacitated so they're not able to get out. Um, we would have people whose sons and daughters are minding them and this week gives them a break as well as the old person. Um, that's, main, that, that's mainly the people that come. Uh, you know, people think, well, old people have money, but it's not about money. Uh, you know, they're, they're lonely. Um, just the company is part of the holiday. We never provided anything else. Um, you know, the atmosphere of 106 people together and the stewards like, you know, they're just there to do everything for them and to listen to them and talk to them and some people mightn't see somebody else to talk to from one end of the week to the other. Oh, well, we have a sing song. We have a sing song now. We had a man here last night and it it a band, one man band, you know, and he was singing and he was cracking jokes. And we had a powerful night here last night. We were up dancing. Oh, we had a great night, hadn't we? Yeah, we had. We had let us go wild, we did, you know. It's great to get out like that, it is. Take shows yourself. My idea of Curtis Town House would be that it's a hotel. And really, when we go on holidays, you either participate if you want to or you don't. And we would, you know, do the same here. Um, obviously, we would have people who mightn't either be attending Mass or, in fact, mightn't be Catholics anyhow. So um, what we tend to do is we just tell them Mass is on and if they come, and quite a good few wouldn't come. But then equally, I believe that the majority want Mass and, you know, by the attendance, that's that's a definite um, and a lot of them, while they get Mass on the radio at home, they would say to you, oh, it's lovely to be able to go to Mass. So, you know, if you're in a wheelchair, you can be wheeled into Mass. But all the activities would be optional. Now, equally, we would look out for the people who wouldn't join in and try to find out the reason, because sometimes, you know, they're shy and they might just need that bit of encouragement. So we would certainly encourage them to join in. But if if they say no, well, that's fine. This is a holiday. It's not... Uh, concentration camp you know and they're adults and they're quite capable of making their own decisions and you know I believe that we shouldn't say and at nine o'clock we do this and at ten o'clock we do that you know if you did come down here on your own, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be, be left out. You wouldn't be on no, your no, no, own because you pick up at somebody. That but you always meet you. somebody, you know. I didn't know you They'll meet other people on yeah. their own, and they'll all get I mean, together. And sometimes they share year, a room. For the first time last year. Mm. Yeah. You know. I think it's beautiful down here. Yeah. They're very good. <laughs> Do you know who's playing the crazy golf out there? No. Your mother's friend that's over ninety. Yeah, God, I, I was looking at Mrs. Gorman, she's over 90 days, she's yeah. playing the car. She's wearing a walking stick in one hand and the stick in the other. She I thought it was marvellous. She knows I love the table tennis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the board. We played, well, we, uh, we played bingo we this afternoon. This morning, and you know, and we, we, had we that. go in there, we don't know anything about it, but we say, God, we wouldn't be able to do, do that. that. And we come out, I mean, we're able to do what they show us, you know. Yeah, Made that's little right. bunny and we had pools this morning. And rain it. Yeah, rings and everything. It's really good. Yeah, I mean, it's great, you know. I mean, you can't, you couldn't ask for better. 
I know they have a hairdresser here now twice a week as well. Yeah. If you want to get your hair done. Yeah, no, and the men and can the get now on Thursday. No, what would you so, wouldn't get that in a hotel? I mean, that's she something new from last. That wasn't here last year. No, that was so every year they're making more and more improvements. Oh, I'm after seeing they made more bedrooms now since last year. Yeah. Every year you see every more and more, 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 more improvements, you know. It takes time. And it's, well, they say it's a hotel, but it is getting very like a hotel, you know, the way everything is going, you know. Meals are on. What's the three-star, four-star hotel? I don't know. Well, I tell you one thing: if you went anywhere, you wouldn't get the service that you're getting here no, in a hotel. No, you wouldn't. You're never kept no, waiting for a meal or no. anything. And there's so many. There's so many stewards for each table in the dining room, and they they keep you know they serve you know. And keep coming down with food and everything. And see you're right and everything. Yeah, and they they're very pleasant too. The office lesson. Anybody's yeah. drinking, getting and drink. And the priest here is lovely. Well, girls, we have to go. It's five o'clock now, and our tea is five o'clock. It's on the camera. <laughs> well, Saint Vincent de Paul was um, a French, say, a French priest. He founded the Vincentian Fathers and he was in France in, in, 16, in the 1600s and he worked very much for the poor, although his reason for joining the priesthood was to get an education. Uh, but afterwards he decided he was going to work for the poor and he worked with the galley uh, slaves on the, on the galley boats, he worked with the slaves. And he was a very influential man. He, he, I mean, he was at the bedside of Louis XIV when Louis XIV died. So he had a lot of influence and really, it's no more than ourselves, you, you need to have influence with those that have money if you want to help poor people. And he certainly um, had in France at the time. So he inspired the foundation of the Vincentian Fathers and the Daughters of Charity. Well, of course, when we talk about uh, an 80-year-old man serving in the Society of St. Vincent de Paul, and then we move from that to mention uh, a third-level conference and the activities of a third-level conference, I think it's very appropriate to say that the Society of St. Vincent de Paul was founded by a young student, Frederick Gosnam, in Paris. And uh, it was very much a group of young people in Paris who weren't satisfied with the uh, progress that the uh, statutory or the government authorities were making in terms of looking after the poor and needy of Paris at the time. Uh, and perhaps also, I think, at the time, the leadership of the church. And they saw a great need for uh, a new dimension to, um, uh, to Christian values and to, to support for people in need. And hence they started the Society of St. Vincent de Paul. And it has grown now to be a worldwide organisation. Uh, and here in our country, we're very proud to say that there are over 10,000 members of the society. I think we always have to keep reflecting back uh, to Frederick Ozen and to his vision. He was a man of action, not, of, not, not necessarily of words. And uh, so our focus today is very much to try uh, keep before us the values and the focus that Frederick Ozen and his comrades had in the early days of the foundation of our society. In 1844, the Society came to Ireland and uh, spread very rapidly, particularly around the West and around Kerry region. And um, as I said, the Society in Europe collected and sent money uh, to help the victims of famine in this country. And we, in turn, in Ireland now, in the Vincent de Paul Society, are linked to 13 
English-speaking African countries and we're supporting them very much. Most voluntary organisations now have a big emphasis on training. Uh, the Society of St. Vincent de Paul, <clears throat> over the years, has always, from time to time, depending on the strengths and weaknesses of, 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 of leadership in the society, has always endeavoured to have training programmes. In the last six to eight years, however, here in Ireland, we have very specifically gone down the road of um, uh, developing uh, training programmes for the members, induction programmes for people who are coming in and joining the organisation at first hand, training for presidents, they would be the leaders of the parish group where they'd have to chair meetings and conduct meetings and motivate people, um, training for young people in the society. There's a whole range of um, activities in the training area that I'd have to say we're developing. I wouldn't for one minute say we had it, have it at any perfected stage, but uh, I think what I strongly want to say is that we feel now uh, that volunteers must have training, particularly given the very complex nature of our society, the complex nature of the problems that they're faced with in, their, in the families that they visit, drugs, drug addiction, um, child abuse, all these uh, issues which perhaps 15 or 20 years ago certainly weren't as highlighted as they are now. I haven't got money to give them. Now, when there's collections, I might buy a hat or throw a pound into the box, something like that. But more so, I like to help with the elderly when there's um, old folks' parties. Uh, I did a couple of times do fundraising in the mansion house. Um, uh, what other things did I do? Um, basically, that's really all I can give. Like. I haven't got money to give back, but like that again, if I was asked to do something voluntary for the Vincent's de Paul, I'd be sure willing to do it. You will find out that charity is a heavy burden to carry, heavier than the bowl of soup and the full basket. But you will keep your generosity and your smile. It is not enough to give bread and soup. This the rich can do. You are servants of the poor, always sincere and always good-humoured. They are your masters, and the more difficult they will be, the more love you must give them. For it is only by your love that they forgive you for offering them the bread. Brown envelopes with three pounds, a portrait of the Society of St. Vincent de Paul, Feature the voice of Bill Golding. The program was compiled, presented, and produced by Jerry McArdle. There's a poverty of the spirit. There's a real lack of hope around. When I started out in 1969, people were very, very poor, but there was a, a spirit, there was a faith that said, well, look at the Lord look after me or it's the will of the Lord. Now, I don't know whether that was good or bad, but there was a community spirit around. People cared about each other. Old people had very little money then, but they lived, um, they didn't live in fear. Nowadays, elderly people have adequate money to live on. Um, good housing, most of them, but they're living in fear. And that's a much worse form of poverty than material poverty, afraid to go out for being beaten up, mugged afraid when if you do go out that you go back and your flat is broken into 
I think that's an awful poverty. Uh, whatsoever you do unto the least of my brethren, you do unto me. And I think really that's what the Society of St. Vincent de Paul is about, uh, serving, uh, which may seem sanctimonious uh, commentary to make, but the real spirit of our organisation, going back to Frederick Bowser, is about serving Christ in the most needy people in our communities. Brendan Nate is a 